What If the Len Bias Story, hosted by Jordan Ritter Kahn, is the Ringer's latest narrative podcast. Episodes one and two launch on June 9th, and you can find new episodes every Wednesday on the Book of Basketball 2.0 feed. Here's a quick trailer. You've heard his name, Len Bias, 1980s phenom, second pick in the NBA draft. And then cocaine, tragedy, one of the most shocking deaths in sports history. 35 years later, Bias's legacy is still making an impact. From Spotify and the Ringer Podcast Network, this is What If, the Lynn Bias story. I'm Jordan Ritter Khan. It's Ryan Russillo Podcast presented by FanDuel. The road to the NBA Finals starts now, and FanDuel is the best place to get in on the action. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Quick Bets, which are back and better than ever for the NBA playoffs and FanDuel. Find what you're looking for faster and easier with more props right at your fingertips. You can check out live bets like three-minute markets and exclusive live bets like quarter player props, player assist combos, and more. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming, so please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 and older. 18 plus in DC and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler or visit rg help.com. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. La Quinta by Wyndham has everything you need for your next business trip from free high speed Wi Fi to fitness centers to free bright side breakfast with fresh waffles, eggs, and more. Book direct at lq.com. Tonight, La Quinta, tomorrow you shine. Danny Ainge stepping down as the man in charge of the Boston Celtics, which also means surprising Brad Stevens moving on from coaching to run the organization. What does this mean? We have Jack McMullen, Kevin O'Connor, and Bill Simmons, an emergency Celtics front office and coaching change-up podcast here for the next hour. An emergency edition of the Ryan Rosillo podcast. And with the news that Danny Ainge stepping down and Brad Stevens stepping up to take over the front office, we are joined by Bill Simmons, Kevin O'Connor and the Hall of Famer, Jackie McMullen. Jackie, I want to start with you because I think the oddity of, of this is there's two different ways you can do this. I want to get to the Ainge part second because the Stevens news, it was surprising when they got him in 13. This is even more surprising that he's replacing Ainge and is no longer going to coach the team. Um, where were you as far as that part of the story? I'm flummoxed uh, by it. I, I, I didn't see this coming. I, I, the, you know, I know we're getting to Ainge later, but that I don't think is super surprising. I think... A bunch of us have sort of forecasted that in the last few months, never mind weeks. Uh, but I will say this about Brad Stevens. Uh, lots of coaches say they're a family man. Brad Stevens is one. I know how taxing this last two years has been on him. I've, I've been told again and again by people close to him that this was tearing him apart, you know, going from the bubble and then right to uh, a season that they thought was going to start in January and started a month sooner. And I think it just really took its toll mentally on Brad Stevens, uh, on many coaches, I'm sure. But I think in particular, Brad, I think he's a little burnt out as a coach. Uh, Bill and I were talking before we came on, seven years is a lifetime to coach one team in the NBA. It's uncommon. And I think he was probably thinking, I don't know, what's next? I'm, I'm trying to get myself charged up to do this again. Now, Brad Stevens is under contract for a long time for a lot of money. And I think they, they appreciate him 
as a figurehead of their program. And I'm not a figurehead because that makes it sound like he doesn't have power and he's going to have a lot of power starting with the head coach. And uh, so it's a gamble, Ryan. It's a gamble. Brad Stevens has a lot of experience in basketball, but not running a team in the NBA. So this is it's a big gamble. So the, I think it's actually three seasons, not two, because you have to throw the Kyrie, the last Kyrie season in there as well, which was just Agreed. a miserable experience for everybody right. involved. Then Agreed. we go to the next season, which signs a promise followed by the quarantine and the pandemic. And all of a sudden, then we're back and we're in the bubble and that goes all the way. They make the conference finals. They go all the way through and then they're playing again eight months later or eight weeks later. I just think he's, I think he's burned out. And um, I think that's, especially if you're a big family guy, like Jackie said, and you have those three seasons in a row and all the twists and turns. Um, and then the the fact that you've been the coach now for three fourths of a decade. Um, I just think he's burned out. And I was surprised. I did not think, especially because they had just signed him to a big deal, I think a year ago. Um, right. I, we knew Jackie and I, we were on the pod, I think what, six weeks ago, eight weeks ago. And we were like, this Celtics organization will not look the same after right. this season. It just won't. It's been too long with the same group, the same owners, the same front office people, um, even the same two coaches over the last 16 years. Right. There's too much of the same. And I think that's really deadly. I had Theo Epstein on my podcast a month ago talking about he left the Red Sox after 10 years. He left the Cubs after 10 years. He really feels like 10 years is the max where you should be somewhere. And for Ainge, she was there since 2004. So you knew this was headed somewhere. Um, KOC though, the, the Stevens running the team part, did you have any inclination of this? Cause I, I, I was floored by that part. I did not have the Stevens part. It's like you guys said, the Ainge part that's been floating out there for quite some time that he could either, you know, retire or I another job. And with Brad Stevens though, th this is fascinating to me, you know, because you're hiring somebody who, as you just said, it seems burnt out as a head coach to take on, you know, the Celtics job is appealing. You have Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, but there's a lot of work to be done and a lot of tough decisions to be made in not, you know, the weeks to come and the months to come this coming off season. Like this is not a hard thing to turn this into the championship team that they aspire to be. Yeah. The age part, you know, for, for, I think that there's probably some, some, stuff that we all have to come together on because we've all heard like different parts of it. And that's why, like I started with the Stevens thing just first. And I think we should get to the challenges of the, the, the front office part of it, but you know, whether it was Ainge was going to get a weird promotion for another year and stay with the organization, Jackie, I don't think anybody with the ownership wanted to fire Danny Ainge in Boston. Okay. No, but no. that I think the other part of this was that there's an Austin Ainge element, Danny's son, who's been with the organization here for a while. And that that succession plan with the way things had gone the last few years, wasn't going to happen. Austin Ainge wasn't going to take over the Celtics. And the stuff that I had heard was that the next landing spot for Danny Ainge. Like, I don't think he's done in a front office and that he would have to have an option. And that's where the Utah rumor comes in with new ownership, where apparently he is very close with this new young owner out there, uh, which adds another wrinkle to it. But could Danny take over there with some bigger promotion, keep the front office in place, but have Austin on a track to be running his own organization? But we also have, we have KOC. We have, we've all heard he's close to that owner. Yeah, well, so we know that. Could, uh, yeah, we know he, he could have yeah. some sort of role that's not even a major role. For sure. Role. I mean, what I was told, you know, a couple of weeks back is that Utah, like, he has interest in Utah. It's just that Utah won't hire him. And that there'd also be some interest in Portland if Neil O'Shea were to move on from that mm -hmm. franchise. And 
We'll see what happens there with the rest of that Nuggets Blazers series. But, you know, Angels from Portland, maybe that could be an opportunity for him. But either way, um, there's no guarantees here that he gets another job immediately. Well, remember, too, now, guys, he's 62 years old with a history of heart trouble. To me, this I hope Danny Ainge retires and enjoys his life and his family and his grandchildren. That's what I hope for Danny Ainge, because it's a super stressful job. And I think the stress has taken its toll. Last year, Danny Ainge's physician told him, I don't think you should go to the bubble. I don't think it's safe for you to go to the bubble. So this is a guy who should just retire and enjoy his feeling. And I just want to get back quickly to the idea of Brad Stevens in this front office. And we're talking about, you know, this, the, the stress of being a coach of the Celtics the last three years. The front office is pretty stressful too, guys. And it's a, it's a pretty much a 24-7 job. I remember when Ainge was hired in, in 03 and I was on um, an affiliate no one was listening to in Boston when we were the Celtics affiliate. And I was, I think, at the station a month or two. And I was like, Ainge? Like, what has he done? Like, he's going to run the organization? Right? Like, why would the new yeah. owners do this? And then I got yelled at in a commercial break by the, by the programming director being like, <laughs> idiot, yeah. this is good for business. Ainge is right. back in town. He's running the team. And he did a fantastic job. So I'm not just going to assume, hey, because Ainge and it worked out and they got a title, that it's going to happen for Brad. Because I think all of you that have brought up the point, like, if you're burnout from coaching, it also, there could be a different burnout, though, because if, I just think it's hard to be a voice in any league for more than five years. So if you've been Brad, who everybody thinks is a really good coach, and younger guys are just starting to tune you out because they've been hearing you for so many years, I don't think that's shocking. So the burnout can be the disconnect, not necessarily the hours put into it, because as KOC, as you know, like anybody knows, it's a different amount of hours, but it's not an easier job. For sure. More travel, too, is the coach, at least if you're you know, running the team. Maybe you don't have to go on every single road trip. You know, right. you can spend right. some time with family and strategically determine when you're leaving and when you're not. So, you know, for Stevens, you would hope that would help them help him in, in doing this. But ultimately, though, as the general manager, you're going to make some really tough calls. And I think, like you said, Jackie, he's been successful no matter what he's done, recruiting and coaching yeah, at Butler, coaching in the NBA. And like, you know, you'd bet on him having success as an NBA GM. With that said, though, you know, when this news was announced, I was thinking about the first big move that Ainge made in 03 was trading Antoine Walker. You know, that shook local, you know, sports talk, radio. People ripped Ainge for that, if I remember correctly. I was 13. I was so young. I don't remember anything. You know, oh, but, sure. Rub but, it but, in. But, Go uh, ahead. Rub it but, in. But, but, <laughs> but, I mean, I just remember, like, thinking about how big of a move that was to trade a fan favorite. Will Brad Stevens be willing to make those tough choices like that? I look forward to seeing his persona as a GM with him as a coach. It's this balanced, you know, measured guy who's calm on the sidelines. What will he be like as a GM when for 18 years it's been this guy who's tough, willing to make those tough decisions, doesn't care what the fans think? That'll be interesting to me. But I will say this, Kevin, if you think about Brad Stevens, he already made one of the toughest decisions, I think, that he made during his tenure last season when Gordon Haywood, who he adores like a son, and, you know, Gordon Haywood signed a free agent in Boston, partly because of, of Brad Stevens. He made the decision, the correct one, I might add, that Gordon Hayward coming off injuries had to be the fourth option, not the third option, because those young guys had passed him. And that couldn't have been easy for Brad Stevens. It couldn't have been, yet he knew it was right for the team, and he did it. And then, by the way, still tried like hell to get him to come back. Brad Stevens wanted him back. And, you know, the you know, Charlotte threw a pile of money at him and that was the end of that. I think he's an exceptionally smart guy 
And I think if you look at the history of the exceptionally smart coaches, you know, look at Riley in the late ni- in late eighties, right? If you read the Lakers books that were written about that, he mm-hmm. his voice had burned out with those guys. He had burned right. out with Magic, and he had burned out with Worthy and Byron Scott, and they were just tired of him. And he knew it, and he sensed it. And that was when he made the move, and he went to do uh, NBC, I think, for one or two years, then jumped to the Knicks. Spolstra, for whatever reason, has never hit that point in Miami, right? Popovich never hit that point in San Antonio. Um, you kind of know it when you feel like your voice has, you know, either lost a little bit of its luster, or maybe you have a little too much baggage, or maybe it's a situation where with very, very, very rare exceptions, this is a five to seven year job. I think these, these guys are harder to coach than ever. You know, you have Tatum, (laughs) who is 23 years old, who is magnificent, who got, you know, I think went up a level the last two months, but. He's a super duper duper star now who has not yet produced on the level of, you know, the five best players in the league, but is treated as such. I think it's, I think it's just a really hard league to coach in. And he probably looks at this and goes, I'll refuel. I'll see if I like this front office thing. I'll do this for a couple of years. I would, would any of you rule out Brad being, uh, coming back as the Celtics coach in like 2026 after his batteries have been recharged and his kids are older? Cause I wouldn't. I think they want him to be like the Riley kind of figure in Boston where he just kind of transcended it. And that would be the goal with this. I think they believe in him. Well, I, I just don't know. To believe in him. I mean, I know the lack of experience and that's what everybody's going to jump on. And that's fair. That is a fair criticism. But anyone that's been around him, you know what kind of man he is. He's straightforward. I think he's been straightforward with these players. I know people th- say that the players tuned him out. I think it's it's a lot of what you're, you were just talking about, Bill. Just general fatigue of the, what they've been through the last three years. And, uh, and I think a new face is a good idea. Kerr hit this point in Golden State, right? And then for whatever reason, it flipped two months ago. And he kind of realized what his team was. And I think he got re-energized by mm-hmm. a new style of play, how to do this. But I, there was a moment two months ago where I thought Kerr was done at the end of the season. And now I don't think he is. And I think Brad never had that moment where the switch flipped. I, de- mm-hmm. I don't feel like he could reach the team that he had this year. I just don't feel like he ever had a handle on even the style, the way they played with all the one-on-one stuff. That's not how he coaches. That's Defense. not how he wants to play. The defensive numbers were atrocious. If there's one thing about a Brad Stevens team is they're going to defend. They're not going to turn the ball over and no one's going to get a three point shot up. They were all for three this year, the Celtics on those. Yeah. I think the other thing though, back to like the Pat Riley part of that, um, that's, that's a, like a cool idea, but Riley just has the resume that he can pull that off. I mean, if, if Brad doesn't have a ring, as an executive here, which is asking a lot because right. they're falling behind people as an organization and they're kind of stuck with the salary stuff. Not to say that any of this is impossible. Like Riley could float and do whatever he wants and replace a Stan Van Gundy because all of the players looked at Riley as the guy that they, you know, not grew up with, but somebody that they looked at as this basketball icon. And Brad just isn't that. He just isn't. I think Brad's a really good coach. I thought he's had an incredible run. I thought he's a good coach who had a bad year. So, you know, if he has a good run as an executive, if he has a good run as an executive, that's fine. But I don't know, projecting out years from now and saying, well, maybe he'll come back and he'll do all these different things. I just think that's impossible to project because at least with Riley, we knew his resume was insane. What do you think, Cassie? Well, by the way, Riley's resume after he left as Lakers coach, there was a lot of 
you know, did he win those rings with just because he had Magic and Kareem and Worthy and Byron Scott and he was in a West Conference that where they were by far the best team every year. I think when he went to the Knicks and he proved that he could match the coach slash I'm also kind of picking the players and who we have, that was when we realized he was Riley. And maybe I think Boston's betting that Stevens can graduate and become that guy. I don't know. KOC, do you think he can become that guy? He seems skeptical. Yeah, I mean, I, I think Brad Stevens can. You don't have to necessarily be cutthroat, you know, to do that job um, successfully. So I think he can. But, you know, it's just interesting to me because, and I'm curious if you guys have heard this, there's the rumblings about Boston potentially having interest in a Sam Presti. And, you know, Sam I've heard Presti's, that for like two years. Yeah, yeah it's yeah, a natural he wants, Yeah. Well, Sam sure. grew up in Concord, so Definitely. that makes perfect sense. And it seems like he'll be staying in Oklahoma City, but I, I do wonder how seriously Boston ownership considered going with a proven candidate, you know, someone who's done it for years rather right. than a newcomer in Brad Stevens. And there's always questions. I mean, I, I would bet on Brad Stevens having success as at running the Boston Celtics, but there's a lot to be done. Like the Boston is about to be pushing against the luxury tax, depending on the decisions that they make this offseason. There's big deals that need to be made. But Brad Stevens does know intimately more than anybody else every potential issue within the locker room to help improve chemistry. He's there every day. He understands it. So I look forward to seeing what he does this offseason. I really do because I, I would not shock me one bit if this entire team, aside from maybe Tatum and maybe Brown, looked dramatically different than what we just saw the last two years. It could look totally new. It would be hilarious if he traded Marcus within like five seconds of getting the job. <laughs> Marcus is out. He's on another team. Oh, I guess we know how Brad feels about Marcus. Honestly, um, he's probably more likely he is traded now. I mean, he's the best chip they have, really. Think about yeah. it. I mean, you know, they Kemba Walker's. No, uh, I, I, I think that know. Bill that Bill joke was actually a little bit more honest than. Yeah. than I think you're right, Ryan. Yeah. Well, we did on Sunday. We we Russell and I talked about. I thought that was Marcus Smart's last home game on Sunday. I don't. I didn't think he was going to be on the team next season. And Possibly. honestly, he's their only trade piece. And I'm sure like, you know, I was thinking about Brad it, just in the hour when all this broke, like he had to be looking at that 2019 draft, which no. I think is where it falls apart for Ainge, right? That whole summer where you have 14, 20 and 22, you trade Tybal mm. to the Sixers who ends up being better than anybody you actually took with those picks. You trade right. back so you can get Carson Edwards and a future something that turns out to be nothing. And then on top of it, you lose Kyrie and it, the thing that shocked me was like, if you're, if you're panic marriage in Kemba, basically, how do you not know about the knee stuff when everybody in Charlotte knew that that was the number one reason they didn't want to resign him? I, I just don't feel like they put a lot of intelligence into it. Jackie's hopping off for one second. She's going to yeah. hop back. But KOC, like, did you know that Kemba stuff before yeah, they I actually mean, signed him? The, the Kemba injury stuff is definitely known. And that's the criticism that some people have of Ainge. Like, I think publicly, a lot of people say, why wasn't Danny Ainge more aggressive in making these moves and going all in? The the pushback I've heard against that is, was Ainge too aggressive a couple of years ago? You know, trading for Kyrie, trading for Kemba Walker, should he have taken more of a step back with this younger roster when Tatum was actually only 19, when Jalen was only 21 and played it slow with their development? And like, I don't necessarily agree with that. They went to three out of the last four Eastern Conference Finals. They had a chance to go to the NBA Finals multiple times. They had a lot of great success. But I get it. You know, maybe things were rushed a little bit. And that Kemba deal might have been the one that he pushed too hard and really maybe should have just let him go 
and just go with a younger team. Because that Kemba deal, two years left on his contract, including a player option for over $70 million, that's going to be the tough part for Brad Stevens. It's like, how do you build around that now that you have Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum with their big deals kicking in? Like, it is not going to be easy for Brad to build this up. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. La Quinta by Wyndham has everything you need for your next business trip. From free high-speed Wi-Fi to fitness centers to free bright side breakfast with fresh waffles, eggs, and more, book direct at LQ.com. Tonight, La Quinta, tomorrow you shine. This episode is brought to you by Arby's. You know what I hate, hate, is after lunch, there's all this time before dinner. I hate it. So I'm always like, do I do this? It's like, you should. Gain season? Throw in a little something extra, an appetizer that just starts hours before dinner. It just gets so frustrating when there aren't great options. That's where Arby's new two-for-five-dollar chicken wraps come in. Available in your choice of ranch, barbecue, and honey mustard. They're perfect for that afternoon snack attack or as an add-on to your meal. Food buddies. Arby's two-for-five-dollar chicken wraps are here for a limited time at participating locations. Visit an Arby's near you or order ahead on the Arby's app. Ryan, we both feel like this. it's actually unfair to say, Ainge, you know, he blew it because I do feel like, and this is not making excuses because I don't think you can excuse any of the offseason in 2019. I think it's an F-minus looking back. They had those three picks. Um, they didn't trade up. They didn't use any leverage to try to even move up one spot or two spots and then the Kemba thing and not realizing Horford was going to leave, all that stuff. But before that, everything they did was leading to the super team they had built that on paper was incredible, where they had Tatum and Brown on rookie contracts. They had Smart on an awesome contract. And then they had the cap space and the draft pick capital to go get somebody awesome. And they did. They got Kyrie Irving. That trade was great. They still had enough cap space to get another free agent, whoever that was. And on paper, all the stuff made sense. I think they had bad luck with Kyrie. And I think, uh, you know, the D Davis signing with Clutch was the, the other murder, right? <laughs> Clutch was never sending Davis to the Celtics. Once those two things happened, um, all of a sudden it went away fast. But I really think like up to 2018, that's one of the better front office jobs we've had in the last 10 years. Rasilla, you agree with that, right? Yeah, I mean, this anti-Ainge bullshit is so out of control. Now, the fact that he's no longer in charge of it, I have no problem. They needed a change. Everybody wanted to move on, figure some new things out. I have no issue with it. I'm not sitting here like enraged that Ainge is out of a job. But the way he is discussed is so incredibly incomplete and at times just inaccurate that it, it blows my mind. And I think a lot of it has to do with just this anti-Boston phase that we're in now and it's it's been stronger more so for a lot of reasons the last couple of years but when you go through the track record of stuff all right so fine we'll go all the way through the garnett deal and pulling that off because he pulled that off because of a relationship all right so it's one finals win two finals appearances the 2019 was the best team of any of those three years and then kg gets hurt so you're in position to compete for a title for three straight years they look like they're rebuilding all right, as they get rid of KG and Pierce in this absurd trade that never should have happened. And while they're supposedly rebuilding, Isaiah Thomas comes in in another trade where he flees somebody and they're actually competing. Now, they may have been one of the worst one seeds I've ever seen, but that's kind of been my point where people look at the more recent years and go, well, they can't break through. They can't break through. And it's like, 
When did you ever think any of these three Eastern Conference Finals teams were, were that great? They got smashed by the Cavs the year Isaiah and those guys beat Washington when I can't believe the Wizards lost that series. They lose to LeBron in Game 7 when Kyrie doesn't even show up to the arena and you've got like basically teenagers out there running around. And then last year against Miami, like, yeah, it could have gone either way, but I looked at that series and like I feel like Miami's the better team. Now, another part of this, why do people keep saying like, well, that Nets trade, didn't really do anything. Are you kidding? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, other than Tatum and Brown, okay, <laughs> other than getting the anchors of your franchise for a decade, other than those two guys, you're right. They didn't get anything in that trade. And when you look at the fact that the other pick was the Sexton pick that was the Kyrie trade to trade Drake, Jay Crowder, Isaiah Thomas, Zizich, and the eighth pick in Colin Sexton for even two years of Kyrie, that was a disaster. Everybody would do that trade. So that also helped you gain another asset. But this is where I think the Kyrie part of it is important because they were still, they were convinced Kyrie was staying. And Kyrie can do whatever he wants, but he was he definitely made it nastier by being like, I'm staying, I'm staying. And they were willing to like trade, I think at one point, the Anthony Davis deal, which you're right, Bill. As soon as he was with Clutch, there's no way Anthony Davis signs with Clutch and is like, oh, by the way, I'm not going to go to L.A. and help out LeBron. And yeah. Clutch doesn't like Boston. He was never going to end up there, even if it wasn't the LeBron factor in L.A. So the other part of this, you can't have it both ways discussion, which I'm, I'm still just blown away by, is that you wanted Ainge to put all these chips in because you didn't feel like he did it enough. All right. He did it with Kyrie. Kyrie bailed. That's fine. So does that mean that you would have rather he had also done it for Anthony Davis? Because that trade could have happened. Like, would you have wanted Tate? Because if you say like, oh, they should have traded for Kawhi, they should have traded for this guy. I'd rather have guys for at least seven years than somebody who may not be here in two. And when you're running the Celtics, you have to worry about that and how desirable the city is. So when I hear people say they should have done this, they should have done that, they should have done this for Kawhi, then that means then you think they also should have tated, traded a Tatum or a Jalen Brown for an Anthony Davis because that shows that Ainge at least is willing to go for it. And that's just stupid when you say it out loud. Well, and the other, you left out two things that he did that were great. I mean, you listed all of the good I didn't. I, did. I still have more stuff. You left out two things. You left out, they had the first pick in the draft and he smartly assessed that Tatum was the best guy in the draft, right. which, I, which he gets no credit for now. By it's the crazy. way, I don't know if there are three GMs that would have had the balls to have done it because and Fultz he was also the was going to take Durant. He was he would have taken Durant in 07. Fultz was absolutely the consensus number one mock guy. So usually GMs are like, look, if I get if I get weird with this, if Fultz doesn't work out, then at least I can say, hey, everybody had him number one. That's what GMs are going to do. That's like the Carol Anthony Towns Porzingis thing that I've always said. There were yep. teams that thought Porzingis yep. was right there with Carl Anthony Towns. It's like, yeah, but if Porzingis is a bust, I'm fired. If Towns is a bust, maybe I can stick it out another couple years. That's what the Tatum draft pick is. Most GMs would have gone, well, I may like Tatum a little bit more, but I'm just going to take Fultz because he's number one on everyone's well, mocks. And so that's why. Go ahead. No, I was going to say the thing with Ainge's when it came to top talent, he nailed it. Almost every single time. His problems were in and the later Stevens, rounds. And Stevens, too. Stevens yeah. was the other thing that he nailed, which he never right. gets credit for. That's right. a great right. hire. Nobody saw it coming. Right. And so I think it's the later rounds. You know, you mentioned the two, 219 draft. That was a really, really tough one. I think that's where um, Danny ran into problems. And, but the, and the other thing, Ryan, I think the reason people talk about the Brooklyn Nets and the Celtics and that deal is that and it's, you have to give credit to the Brooklyn Nets, to Sean Marks, what he has done 
I, I was there. I did a story on them when, when they were winning like 15 games and Kenny, he and Kenny Atkinson are just like trying to hold it together with hardly any talent at all. So what they did is just remarkable. It's remarkable. Now they have Brooklyn as a selling point and that's, that right. makes Look, a big if, difference. If Boston were cool and Durant wanted to go there, then right. the Celtics would be awesome too. Well, that's, but that's my point. So that's why people compare. Because it does look like now the Brooklyn Nets might win a championship before the Celtics do. That's all. That's just, that's the narrative you're going to have to get See, used I, but to. I, don't, I can't hang the Celtics on that. KFC, like, no, if, no, of course if, they, no, if, if he's that, going, to, if they're going to the Knicks instead of the Nets, we're not even talking about the Nets right now. The bottom line is James Dolan completely botched that to the point that Durant Kyrie wanted to play in New York, didn't want to play for the Knicks. But again, you can't have it both ways, any of you. If we're going to play this game, they ended up in Brooklyn. Okay, yeah. if we're going to play this game, let's be fair. Brooklyn ended up with those guys and they they and talk. I about, don't understand how they're connected. Well, because they're connected well, because it was a huge trade. It, but give again, the Nets hired someone that had never coached before that. Everybody was like, I don't know if this is going to work. And Steve Nash has been fantastic. And then they got Harden to come there and everyone's like, well, how are they going to get these three guys to share the ball? And they have. So all I'm saying is you can't have it both ways. That's all. And that's why, to Jackie's point, like you have to give credit to the Nets for building in the way that they did from the hellhole that they were in. Like it's credit to 100%. them. It's not. It's not yeah. both. It's two independent organizations that are that's just gone down different paths. Yeah, I just I do feel like it's a little apples and oranges with the Celtics Nets team because the trade was the trade. The mm -hmm. Nets did what they had to do to rebuild, and you know the most important thing for them was just that. The Knicks hired Rose and West basically a year late. If they had were right. able to get those guys two years earlier, they would have created the culture in time. And Durant, Kyrie would. I mean, you saw it with the with the Knicks crowds just in the two yeah, playoff games. Like it's it's a whole different incredible. level. KOC, what do you what do you see with the organization? What does it look like? Because I I think both we, we can all agree maybe both ages leave. Um, Mike Zarin, who was the hot GM candidate for years and years there, um, could add the Philly job, I think could have had two or three jobs. And now Brad basically vaulted him, but I could see him staying as GM maybe. But we also, I think we all feel like they need more diversity in the front office Definitely. and they probably need diversity with the head coach position as well. Wait, have you heard anything? I haven't heard anything about the head coach position or what will happen with Mike Zarin. I would assume, like you did, like you do, that Austin Ainge will also be leaving. Um, I'd be surprised if he wasn't. But um, I, I would bet that with Stevens as a new uh, general manager here, like you would be with a new head coach, is it'll be a collaborative process. I would expect that you would want Mike Zarin to stay to be your salary cap guy, especially with some of the cap challenges that they're going to have as soon as this offseason, pushing against the tax. So... We'll see what happens there. Um, like, is there any noise still at all about Zarin taking other jobs? Because like, I haven't heard a peep about it in recent I, months about him. I've asked Dave, I've asked Mike Zarin about it a million times, and he says all the time to me, "If I left for another job and we won, meaning the Celtics, because the Celtics are we." He grew <laughs> up wearing. He still wears the green jacket. It sits in the rafters with yeah. his dad at every game. <laughs> I admire his loyalty. Uh, I think he just thought I I I wouldn't be able to live with it. I wanted I wanted to win here. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. But you mentioned his cap knowledge and Brad Stevens needs that. Yeah, he needs that. And I think everyone can attest that Mike Zarin's a very trustworthy guy in that front office. We talk about the coaching job. I would like to present Chauncey Billups to the mm. committee as a possibility as okay. a coach job because doing a great job with the Clippers. Um, and, you know, the, 
the reason people weren't hiring him before was he doesn't have any coaching experience, right? We all know Chauncey is that level that we're talking about, the instant respect among players and GMs. Uh, you know, I think his resume speaks for itself, a former Celtic for a very brief amount of time, as we all know. I think he'd be an excellent candidate for them. Uh, I don't know if they've contacted him. I'm I'm not speaking from, I'm not reporting this other than just saying he makes perfect sense to me as someone they should look at. Look, I love Chauncey. Uh, I got to know him pretty well at ESPN. Um, he's He's somebody that, you know, I've kept in contact with over the years. And whenever he tells stories, like, first of all, he has a presence. Okay. He does. Big he one. has, he has this kind of like, when you're talking about, Hey, younger guys and trying to reach them, I'd be shocked if Chauncey couldn't. Um, and you know, I remember the story he was telling me, I was like, well, give me, give me an example of like, you know, you figuring something out. Cause you played for a million different teams, a million different coaches. He's like, I was with this one team. Cause I'm, he was actually, was a really good coach. So I, I don't know if the story's out there. I'm not going to say exactly who the coach was. And he goes, it was out of bounds. Like, I just started playing. He's like, I think it was like my first game with them. And he goes, I wanted an inbound on the baseline. And then I was like, what do we run? And we're like, ah, you know, we'll just, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll shade towards the middle. I'll get there. He was like, nah, fuck that. Timeout. <laughs> he was <laughs> like, we're not just baseline. We'll figure it out on the inbounds. And he had just gotten to this team. And he was like, we're doing this, this. He goes, these are the calls. He's like, and this is the second one or whatever it was. And it was just. It's those little, little things where he just looked around and was like, wait, what do you guys do? Like, well, I'm here now. We're not doing that anymore. And mm -hmm. they were like, oh, okay. Now, yeah, again, now is he going to be an awesome head coach? I love his personality. I think the resume is there. I still think he's connected enough to today's generation that it's not going to be like a who is this guy. And oh, he yeah. has a real command. Like when you sit in a room with him, he's, he's a little soft-spoken, but he's got this real way of speaking that it feels like it's always important. So I, I love the idea of it. I did, uh, I didn't know him and I did TV with him when I was doing countdown. Um, and these two things relate with each other. One is he, he developed a relationship with Bob Iger when Iger was running Disney. And that was how he ended up on TV. Cause Iger just loved him. Iger rarely sends notes. Um, and Iger sent a note to the TV guys like, can we put Chauncey on TV? And I think he just had like a friendship that they built because he thought Chauncey had like a special quality. So Chauncey comes on, does TV. And, you know, he wasn't great on TV because he was so measured um, and so thoughtful, which isn't really how it works when you're doing a studio show and you got the hands going and the whole <laughs> thing. But when you're in the room with that dude, as you, as Rosilla said, there's a real presence to him. And it's a hard thing to explain, but especially like you're in those rooms, you're doing the meeting and whatever, and it goes around, people say what they think. And there was a thoughtfulness to him and a leadership piece to him that was just really interesting to experience. And it was like the whole Chauncey thing made sense to me, like why that Pistons team that was so goofy, right? You have right. Rashid, who's a loose cannon. Ben Wallace, who's, you know, at that point was just a Hall this, of Famer, <laughs> a Hall of Famer. Ben Wallace is this rebounding maniac. He got rips, got to get his shots. Tayshawn, you got to basically pull out him giving a shit and really trying to assert himself offensively. Um, and then on top of it, Larry Brown, who's a maniac and Chauncey was the rudder to that team. And, you know, it just made sense spending a couple of times with them doing TV where I was like, I get it. So I think that yeah. would be a great choice. You know, I, I covered him his rookie year. At, with the Celtics and he wasn't it there was a long. quick one it was quick <laughs> 50 games I took him to lunch I think I was working for Sports Illustrated at the time 
I took him to lunch and it was one of the most remarkable interviews I've ever done. And I'm not going to, we had a conversation about something that I later said to him, I don't think you should say that. <laughs> I think it would hurt you if you say this. And, and I, I didn't, he, I just liked him so much. He was young. He was, he was, you know, energetic. And, and so years later, I mean, I forgot about it years later as I watched him grow and, you know, he went from team to team, reminded me of Steve Nash a little bit. You just felt like if you could just get in the right place, it was going to be gangbusters, you know, because Steve Nash, remember early on, people forget how much he struggled early on in his career. Yep. And, and I felt the same way about Chauncey and just in terms, the leadership was there, the intelligence was there, the just, but just figuring it out, like your story, Ryan is perfect. That's Chauncey Billups in a nutshell. And uh, I think this team could use everything that Chauncey Billups has. So I guess I'm like running a poster campaign for him right now on this <laughs> podcast. Well, and he also, he got the experience too, where that was the rub on him is like, well, he hasn't done it. Now, Nash yeah. hadn't done it before. Doc Rivers hadn't done it before. But I think Chauncey was smart enough to talk to different people and say, oh, I got to actually put in some, some bench reps. I got to see this, you know, right. before I actually take this on. I want to offer up another name, a potential head coach, Kyrie Irving. We know these young guys on this team love him. <laughs> and hugs, maybe, hugs after every right. game. Maybe he can get Robert Williams to play, you know, more than a quarter, right? So there you how, go. How do they all hug him after he stomped on the leprechaun? See, see, game five, he, it's like, oh, hugs galore. Great because, to see you, Kyrie. Thanks for kicking our ass. But that's the that's the world today. Like, I... I the, Kyrie Irving, players respect him so much because he is such a gifted player. And he yeah. really is. I mean, he's got the most yeah. incredible it's, handle. And that's ridiculous. what players care about, guys. You know this. Kyle, you know, you've covered the league long enough. That's what players care about. They care about street cred. And, and Kyrie Irving has basketball street cred. What is the least likely Brad Stevens hire? <laughs> Jason Kidd, Mark Jackson? Oh, God. Well, yeah. Mark Jackson. Kevin, no. <laughs> Mark Jackson's not getting hurt. <laughs> I, Jason Kidd, I can't. I, I, maybe. Yeah. I don't know. I suppose it's possible. I mean, you know, would they? It feels to me like there has to be a name attached. Is why, again, why I think Chauncey makes sense. Like yeah, we're talking about does. the idea of a, of a diversity hire. I mean, there's great, like Darvin Ham to me. I would someday, someone should, very soon, someone should give Darvin Ham a, a chance. He's a really good coach and he commands instant respect also. He's just not a big name. You know, David Vanterpool, we've heard that name a million times. The other one, and again, his, his name came up again because I just did this story with Donovan. Johnny Bryant, who worked with, with Donovan at the Jazz, is now the associate head coach oh, yeah. in New York. He is very well respected. You've heard the same thing, right, Kev? So, I mean, like, he's yeah. someone that's just... But I, but I just don't think that's like... Just knowing the Celtics the way I do, like, it feels to me like if you're going to do this, you've got to get someone that's has some name recognition. I hey, might be wrong. Can but. Conspiracy Bill come in here for a second? Sure. So Welcome. if Chauncey's if Chauncey's a leading candidate, which I think we we all think, who is his best friend in the world? You? I don't know. Kev, Kevin Garnett. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh, that's could, interesting. <laughs> could KG come in as like advisor to Brad Stevens or whatever? Could they give him some ceremonial thing just to get him in the front office? But more importantly, just to kind of be around the team because that was what was supposed to happen in Minnesota. And then they fucked that up. Right. Um, right. K KG seems like he's, I don't know, in limbo at, a little bit ends. with what, loose yeah, ends. what his next yeah. career thing is. And could KG be a piece of that if Billups is involved? Cause I do feel like that's a possibility. And he was the first one to get on the mall for stomping on the logo. He did not like that. He made that clear. So that would be the first order of business. I'm guessing. 
hey, right. I'm the first, you know, just don't step on the logo. There I would have been there would have been a speech for Grant Williams. Hey, Grant, feel free to hit one of these dudes on yeah. a drive. <laughs> feel free to knock Kyrie down once. Or right. you know, same thing for uh who is who is the starting center? Not Robert Williams. The who I'm um, oh Tristan Thompson. Hey well, Tristan, Tristan, feel free to throw an elbow at somebody. Like we're yeah, in a playoff series. Tristan Thompson played with Kyrie Irving, won a championship with him. You know, he's not gonna do that. I just think that toughness has to be a piece of wherever the Celtics thing goes because it was the softest Celtics team of any good team I've seen in a while. This episode is brought to you by Bi. It's Wonder Water. So I was wondering what made Bi so great. And it's actually pretty simple. Bi has antioxidants, electrolytes, and no artificial sweeteners. And the flavors are delicious. For me, it has to be Bi Zambia Bing Cherry. So for flavorful hydration, choose Bi. It's Wonder Water. Learn more about Bi and discover all of the exotic, bold flavors at drinkbi.com. This episode is brought to you by Viore. It's time to ditch your old workout fit. Seriously, just let them go and try Viore clothing instead. Their active wear is unbelievable. Sometimes I wear it and I go, do I look too good? <laughs> I don't want to be at this peak level of awesomeness in their joggers every single day. This is going to be hard to maintain, but that's what the joggers do for you. Whether you're sort of business cash, whether you're just around the house, whether you're working out, whether you're getting on a plane and you're going to be in your seat for a long time, the joggers just give you a hug for the entire flight. It's soft. It's comfortable. You're never going to want to take them off. Incredible versatility. You can wear it while taking part in different kinds of exercises, running, training, swimming, yoga, and more. Viore yoga class that just makes sense the sunday jogger is the number one go-to and of course the core short out now get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet our listeners get 20 percent off their first purchase at viore.com slash ryan r-y-e-n that's v-u-o-r-i.com slash ryan so koc we think jalen and tatum are back is there any lock for any other Celtic to be back in your mind? Did you no. see one? Kemba. We have to bring this back. Well, Kemba's yeah, back. Yeah, Kemba. up by you know, but I was yeah. I was going through <laughs> some of this stuff though. Like we've learned, we've been taught too many times to ever say that any transaction is impossible. Um, and with the amount of cap space that's out there for not great player options, you know, I would I would never say never. But yeah, the seventy plus million for Kemba and the knee that is going to be. I would say at this point, I mean, it's going to be part of the Kemba story. I don't imagine it's all of a sudden going to be way better for a full season and he's going to be terrific. But um, yeah, I mean, because of the number of KOC, I'll just, I'll defer to you and, and kick it back to you. I just kind of throwing that one in there. No, I mean, I, th I think you're right. And I would also just say Tatum's the only guarantee. I mean, could you guarantee that Jalen Brown would be back if there's a big move available? If Bradley Beal decides he wants to team up with his friend of over a decade and Jason Tatum? I mean, I'm just saying, like, I, I think that's something that could be a possibility if mm. it were to present itself. But like, I, I'm not sure. The only guarantee. Look, I, this is back to my original rule for the people that rip on Ainge for not going all in. It's like, I'd rather have somebody for seven years than two or one and a half. And yep. if you're Boston and you know Jalen is cool with the city, then I'm not trading him for Beal. Honestly, I don't I, look. I'll just say it too. I don't think the gap between Beal and Jalen Brown is as significant as the NBA world thinks it is. Jalen Brown's either. a two-way player. Jalen Brown's a two-way player who has a chance to be or like 
an elite two-way player, I think. And, and it, but are we sure? Like what I don't know, what I don't know. And I, cause I, cause I couldn't spend any time with these guys because we can't get near them <laughs> because we can't talk to them in person. And we have to talk to them over zoom or over the phone or over text is what was the vibe of that locker room? They, none of them could be happy with how the season went, but are, is the vibe of the locker room whole? Was it guys supporting each other, but it didn't work out? Are they all cool with Brad Stevens? Do they, I think they respect him. It seems to me that they do. I, I've seen nothing to indicate to the contrary, but what is the vibe of that room and how do they all interchange with one another? Because as one of you said, I think maybe it was you, Kev, that's, I mean, Brad Stevens knows that better than anybody. So what are the inner workings of that team? And I think this is one of those years that for the for journalists, we've been at a, just a horrendous disadvantage because we, you know, we find all that stuff out before the game, right? You show up three hours before the game and you sit on the sidelines and you watch guys warm up and you watch guys interact and you talk with the assistant coaches and you talk with the opposing assistant coaches. And that's how we get our pulse on what's happening, right? What is the what is the feeling of this team? And it's been impossible to do this year. Well, unless, I don't know, maybe you guys have done a better job of it. It's been impossible for me. I know that. I mean, it seemed like it was split. I mean, I, I had reported earlier in the season that because of the COVID protocols, they were one of those teams where they had to have two separate locker rooms. You know, they had to have like a lot of the younger guys and like a separate right. locker room and then a lot of the veterans in the main locker room, which is small as is. And that, like that, that just kind of like created a divide. You know, like it did for other organizations and other teams. It wasn't unique to the Celtics, but it was a challenging year for everybody. But no doubt about it that the chemistry for this team was not right all season long. And whether it's individuals or just a bad mix, that's, you know, I'm excited to see what Brad Stevens does. Like, what will be the first big move? Will it be a Marcus Smart trade? Will it be a shocking, you know, blockbuster deal? Or is this team going to stay pretty much the same with just some minor tweaks around the edges? Um, but Brad Stevens knows more than anybody else like you just said, Jackie, what does need to change for the chemistry to be right? Because it has it was undoubtedly wrong the entire season. Like that's what made it a nightmare to watch, despite some young guys getting better. It still was a nightmare. I I gotta say, I think Jalen is untradeable for me hmm. because of what he means off the court and on the court. And you know, ha having lost Mookie Betts, um, and what he could have meant to the city and what he did mean to the city when he was there, um. And then to lose Jalen too with, you know, the country the, at the point it is as a country with Boston at the point it's at with this stuff. And I think athletes can make such a big difference on and off the court. And it's weird to say that should factor in with how you build a team. But I really think in this day and age, you have to think about that. I think Jalen's one of the most special guys in the league. So if it's like, I'm going to trade that for the slight upgrade of Bradley Beal because he's from St. Louis with Tatum. <laughs> to me, that's not a reason to make a trade. If you're telling me I'm trading Jalen for Dame Lillard or one of the other 10 best guys in the league, now I'm willing to have the conversation. But it's like the Jalen and Bradley Beal, that to me is not a trade. I would much rather build around Tatum and Jalen, two guys who really seem to like playing with each other and who I think have a chance to be special off the court. I think that has to matter. And I look, were Beal and, and Tatum roommates? I mean, my God, with that story. That is it's the St. New, Louis thing. It's the new yeah. Clayton Kershaw, Matthew Stafford deal. <laughs> like, it's right. it just, you can't go five minutes without mentioning it. And, you know, there's plen plenty of guys that like each other. Yeah. yeah. But until I know more about what Beal really wants, I'm going to guess it's probably not Boston. Yeah. So well, I, I, I hate that trade. 
I want to harken back to something you just said, Bill, though, about Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum really liking playing together. They don't play as well together as they should. Yep. As much as as much as I like them both as individual talented pl- two way players, their their symmetry on the court I don't always like. I think there's a lot of okay, your turn, I'll stand and watch over here. But how much and, does that have to do with the point guard? The fact that they've never had yeah, that's their version of a Chris Paul. I mean, there's granted there's no Chris Pauls in the league other than Chris Paul. But if they had somebody no, I that hear you. looked I hear out you. for them, would that make a difference? I hear you, and I, I think the other thing about Jalen Brown the reason I wouldn't trade him is we haven't even seen, uh, we haven't even seen close to a ceiling. Think yeah. The and jump. he's gotten better he, every he's year. Ma- he's, he's making huge jumps every year and he made a huge jump this year and it's, it's gotten lost in the sauce because the team was so disappointing. So and he got hurt. I, yeah, I'm, I'm hanging on to Jalen Brown too. If it's, if it's up to me. And that's why, you know, I present that thought, but I, I agree with you guys that that is probably not a deal that you make because Jalen Brown, not necessarily at his peak here. He just became a 25 point per game score. And I'm also not sure that Bradley Beal solves that playmaking issue. You know, Beal is a score first player like Tatum is a score first Mm -hmm. player. They can pass. They can make guys around them better. But what the team needs is somebody who can pass and create next to Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. And trading Brown for Beal doesn't solve that. You mean Rusilla, like Gordon that, Hayward? You mean like Gordon Hayward? <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah, somebody Rusilla, like that. <laughs> I think the biggest mistake they made from a team construct standpoint the last couple of years was they just had so many draft picks and you're taking these rookies and you feel obligated to throw them out and try them out and see what you have. And, you know, we could list eight of them. Um, and the, the reality is when, when you have role players, especially when you kind of know who your nucleus is, you don't really want young, unproven guys in those spots. Like, look at look at Denver last night. Austin Rivers, who's been on six teams, but I think we all kind of like Austin Rivers as at least he's not going to be afraid. You can throw him out in a playoff game. He'll never be that. He'll never he will, be afraid. He will <laughs> at least feel like he belongs. And you, like, just think about the difference in him and Romeo Langford, who might be talented, I don't know. But over and over again, they're throwing Romeo Langford. And it's like, hey, guard James Harden. Romeo mm. Langford's not going to be able to do that. Austin Rivers... And there's guys like this every year who get claimed, who, you know, they switch teams, late deadlines, February, March range. Austin Rivers would be like, yeah, I'll fucking guard James Harden. I'm as good as that guy, even though he's not. He right. he will think that he is. And I, I think I think the big mistake they made, they felt like they had all these picks. I would have packaged five of the picks for one guy. I think they could have had it, they could have had Halliburton. Last year, they could have here well, the tried. year before. They tried on the Halliburton deal. Phoenix was in a spot there where Phoenix actually, I think, screwed it up because Phoenix could have dropped back and taken. But they never overpowered anyone with a trade, though. But like Hero, Hero's the one. Tyler Hero's the one. It's just, just trade five just first trade round up. picks yeah. for him. Who cares? Give well, him not whatever. That many. Not that many. Not that many, though. Just trade well, just up like, a little bit. Just get somebody good instead of just let's. Okay, take- but now you're now you're being silly. All right, is that what, three look, first round picks. I my my issue with some of the Ainge stuff is that there's there's some gaps there where you're like, oh okay, you know this draft wasn't good, this draft wasn't good, mm-hmm. but like the analogy I would use here is if I hire a guy to build me a home and the foundation's incredible, it's energy efficient, mm-hmm. great materials, he cared about all the finish work, he finished the punch list. That's what Ainge is, but then people are bitching that they don't like the color of the house. Yeah. Because when I think about the important moves that he pulled off, the important moves that he got right were so much bigger than the smaller moves that he got wrong. 
He's the only yeah. guy that probably taken Jalen Brown. And when he took Jalen Brown, if you yeah. watch him at Cal, you were kind of like, I don't know. Like, I don't mm-hmm. know what's going to go on here. I mean, I don't know, KFC, if you had other people that had at other teams that had him ranked number three, jump in. But the Tatum deal, I'll say again, most guys wouldn't have the stones to do that. You know, people wanted him to not lose Horford, Kyrie, and Gordon Hayward. And when you say it that way, you're like, yeah, what the hell are you doing? Horford was immediately one of the worst contracts in the NBA. Gordon Hayward may be one of those. You know, Kyrie had his own plans. And and again, that's fine that Kyrie went ahead and did it. And I think the Kemba deal was out of desperation to fill in the slot that Kyrie was, you know, they were afraid if we don't do the Kemba deal, then we actually kind of lose that that transactional spot. So if I ever wrap a bow on the Ainge part of it, yeah, I'll hear some of the criticism. Apparently nothing prior to the Nets trade counts anyway anymore. But it's <laughs> if you go over all of the transactions and if you are fair and also compare it to other great organizations that have some lean runs for two or three years where it didn't look this look it didn't look like the Spurs can do anything right here for a bunch of years in a row but you never hear it brought up I would just say like anybody that's giving anything to Ainge lower than a B at this point is just being completely unfair and if you talk to people around the league other executives other GMs who are the best people you know who are the toughest people to negotiate with who are the best GMs many of them say Danny Ainge and many of them don't like him you know, yeah, for arrogant, that reason. right? That's what you <laughs> yeah. hear, right? He's so yeah. arrogant. Well, whatever. I will say this, though, Ryan. The only thing that gave me pause on Danny over the last three years was Kyrie. Okay, Kyrie, who knows, man? He's Kyrie. He left. That's fine. Horford leaving. Yes, what you said was true about him, but that's because 90% of the, of, for, for, for 90% of the guys in the NBA, it's all about fit, right? I think we agree with that. The superstars can play anywhere. It was the worst fit possible for Al Horford in Philly. It was a good fit for Al Horford in Boston. And he was important to what they were trying to do. And the fact that he left, and I know it was for more money. It turns out it wasn't for as much as we thought. Almost immediately afterwards, you found out, you know, that third year wasn't, it was only partially Yeah, that last year had some really odd incentives too. Right. so. So, but my point there was that was a warning flag to me. Like Kyrie, okay. But that was a little bit of a warning flag. So why does this guy want to move on? And and then, you know, you do your intel and you hear the, the Kyrie year for him was too much. That, the, you know, that that was just the whole thing was he, he just, you know, he was ready to move on. But then Gordon Hayward leaves, too. And again, Charlotte comes up with that money. But I think there was a time had the Celtics played it right. They could have taken care of that and they didn't. So those are the warning flags for me. There seemed to be near the end of Danny's time a little bit too much of a disconnect with the players and his relationship with them. I think but that's the a Gordon, fair criticism. Right, but I think the Gordon thing had more to do with the way Gordon looked around. Because you mentioned it earlier. like yeah. Gordon didn't like that he was a fourth option. Do well, you blame him? Unfor- I don't blame him. Un- I don't blame him, but unfortunately, you were hurt. And the other guys all got better. All right. So when but, you're but, out and then you come back and then you're like, hey, I don't like my role on the team. So I'm going to start. Like, look, Gordon Hayward wanted out. So I don't know how Ainge could have prevented Hayward from dropping as, a, as an option offensively when he wasn't around. Well, but I don't think it's as simple as that. I think there were some things, promises made, things said like, all right, can we just talk about just for one second? I know I'm digressing here, but Andre Drummond starting for the Lakers. Like, does everybody agree that they made him some promise when they signed him that you're going to get to start or whatever, right? And so when you make promises like that, and I don't know what promises they made to Gordon Hayward, I have no idea. But I do think some things, there were some things said that maybe weren't followed through on. And then I think what happened was ownership went to Danny and to Brad Stevens and said, okay, I want to keep this going. We want to keep this going. Um, 
who do we need? Like, who do we need to go out and get? And I think they both said, no, we need Gordon. We got to bring Gordon back. Well, up to that point, I don't think Gordon Hayward had any idea that the Celtics were even interested in taking him back if he if he didn't pick up that option. Well, and that's, and there was, that's a disconnect. That's a there, disconnect. There's a previous piece to that, too, that complicated it, because the year that he came back after the ankle injury and Brad was really loyal to him, right? Gave him Very big minutes. So. And, yep. you know, basically was giving him credit for abilities that he just didn't have. His confidence wasn't back. Right, right. Um, he just wasn't very good. And from what I always heard, and KOC, you were around that team a lot more than I was, but this is what I'd always heard. It's like, there was a little bit of resentment on the player side. Like, why the fuck is he playing Hayward so much? Why does he trust Hayward so much? Hayward's mm -hmm. not even one of our best five guys. So that caused a little bit of an issue too. And I think the Hayward thing just, it couldn't have gone worse from the moment he breaks his ankle. Right. 17 minutes into the season. Yeah. You know yeah, what though? So. Like that's, that's been brought up so many times that like, Oh, that team fell apart. That was the team that was advertising to us. Like, look out once we get into the playoffs, it's on. And it was like, really? Cause I haven't mm. seen it in the regular season and you guys have never done anything collectively as a group. And then as soon as they lose to the bucks, then it was, let's blame Gordon Hayward's minutes time. Brad Stevens has a former all-star on a max contract. That's cleared medically. That guy in every situation for 29 other teams gets minutes gets minutes they played him for like 13 games and people keep bringing that up as as that's the downfall of everything but maybe that's the seed that was planted that maybe these guys are mentally soft that if you're going to let gordon hayward's minutes to see if he's healthy derail you which again it was just excuse making so that's really what it was a lot of those guys a lot of those guys aren't even around anymore but i right, saw right. other talking heads on television cite that be like oh that was a disconnect in the locker room and you go there is no scenario with a player with that profile at gordon hayward's age at that time medically cleared that all of a sudden is a sixth man no, but you also happen. you had Rogier in there you had morris in there morris you had guys was obviously that one of the guys entitled that, for playing time yeah it was just, it was a mess. And uh, it's you know kind of hard to believe. Like, so Morris was in the Kyrie camp. You were talking about camps before. KOC, is that what they're calling you? Are they calling you KFC? I keep hearing KFC, <laughs> like fried chicken. This is bothering no, KOC. KOC. KOC, <laughs> but you you both make it sound like it's KFC. And I'm like, gross. We call it KFC, KFC too. Is, yeah. KFC it's the right sponsor. Potential money. sponsor. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, not gross. Okay, well, perhaps I've done something for you, Kevin. I hope I have. I hope KFC comes calling, but... Thank you know, Jackie. that that whole thing to me was just weird. It was just this team has been weird for a while. And I, toughness, Marcus Morris, Kyrie and Jason Tatum over here. Definitely. They were they were threesome. Marcus Morris got so irritated with Jalen Brown because he thought Jalen Brown was a know it all. OK. Yep. And but guess what? Jalen Brown is a really smart kid that was learning on the fly. That was very, very important. But Jalen Brown, the best thing about him was he stood up to those guys. He said, I don't like the way you're doing that. When, when, when Kyrie was like all these young guys, Jalen Brown was the first one to say, well, well, wait, now hold on a minute. What about the veterans too? And so that's another reason why Jalen Brown's one of the guys I want around. Because whether you liked Marcus or Morris or not, or you didn't appreciate or appreciate or didn't appreciate his time in Boston, he was one tough son of a gun. And they don't have enough Marcus Morrises on their team now with that same kind of like... Bill, to your point, if Marcus Morris was still playing for the Celtics, what do you think he would have done? Oh, clothesline. Somebody would have been quarter. clothesline. And I'm not, I'm not promoting violence, but I am saying that there's oh. a lack of toughness among, and, and as, as much as I like Gordon Hayward, and I do a lot, he's not that guy either. And but, Jason Tatum isn't that guy. Jason Tatum at the end of the season said, and he, well, he's a brilliant player, jaw-dropping player. He's going to be, you know, but 
he's not the, the guy that's going to get in someone's face. That's not who he is. And you can't ask a player to be something he's not. So then you got to go out and get players like Kendrick Perkins who are like that. And they might not be the most talented guys, but you need guys like that in your locker room. And they don't have yeah. them. Might as they well just hire them. Kendrick Perkins as head coach. Throw his name out oh, there, goodness too. goodness gracious, no. <laughs> Kendrick Perkins has thrown a flamethrower in every single player in that team's locker. I don't think he's welcome. <laughs> anyway. All right, an hour. I think we got it. All right, let's go around and uh, get predictions quick. We'll start with Jackie. All right. Chauncey Billups is the next head coach of the Boston Celtics. I don't even know if that's true, but I like it. That's a good one. I think it would be Billups or somebody like him. Somebody who played in the league um, would would be very surprised if it was not a black head coach. Um, I think that would be important for a variety of reasons. Um, and I think there will be some sort of hire for the front office that will uh, improve the diversity of the organization, I will say. Yeah, Kevin? I, think a, I think a former player would make a lot of sense um, for this team. And I think John C. Billups makes a heck of a lot of sense. Somebody who can serve as a bridge between the coaching staff and the players and the front office. I've uh, been able to confirm Yuri Welch will not be the head coach. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think Stoiko Vrankovic will be either, just to help you out. That was the first Ainge trade, and I kind of sneaky was like, I think Yuri Welch is the key to this deal, and it, and it was not the key to the deal. No, Remember, so it didn't work out. Ainge got a number one for Yuri Welch from Cleveland. Remember yeah, that? Yeah, I loved Yuri Welch. I was like, sneaky, oh, this guy's got a sneaky chance. great Ainge trade. Just got a first round pick randomly. Don't for bring somebody it up. Who couldn't play? How many? Doesn't how many count. people did Danny Ainge trade? Somebody should count those up and write a little story about that. That would be super fun. I do I feel like Ainge won most of the trades. I, I would say at least 70 to 75% of them. And that was part of his problem the last few years was he always wanted to win the trade. And there's sometimes, especially when you have a team where you need that one last guy, sometimes it's okay to pay 120 cents in the dollar if you have the three picks to move up a couple spots, things like that. And he was never willing to like lose a trade. He wasn't going to trade 14, 20, and 22 for Tyler Hero. You know, he just wasn't. But in retrospect, maybe he should have. Okay, please subscribe to the Ryan Rosillo podcast. We will be back tomorrow. Rashid Wallace and a couple other things planned as well. Mm -hmm.